Hey everyone, this is your host, Jake Hirschman. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. We are excited to bring you Suja Organic as our sponsor for today's episode. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off their packages. Excited to have Suja on board and thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here as part of the Sports Digitus series. Excited to be with Doug Holtzman, uh, Vice President of Business Development, and David Baggs from the Boston Red Sox, Senior Director of their Sales Academy and Ticket Sales. Um, really, we're going to dive into sales mindsets, how technology is changing sales, why sales has maybe sometimes a negative connotation for those who are trying to get their foot in the door in the industry. and. Uh, everything else around it. So nonetheless, uh, Doug, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having Thanks for having me, Jake. Thank you, Jake, for having us. Doug, let's, let's start off on the sales side, um, developing a sales mindset, right? There's, I, I kind of think there's three components and feel free to add any others, but obviously there's the grind, right? There's the art of it, and then there's truly the storytelling component, whether you're selling tickets, groups, you know, partnerships, premium, et cetera. There's always a story to be told. So how do you go about developing your own sales mindset? You know, I, I think it took me about 20 years to do, right? and I'm still developing it. Um, the one thing I learned at an early age selling is you got to be a continuous student of the game. So you always have to learn you always have to adapt. You know, think about some of the things that we did five, 10 years ago. A year ago in COVID, once that happened, throw it all out the door, right? You need to hit people in certain ways now, you know, to tell that story. But, you know, as you talk about that grind, you need to know how to hit people, those certain touch points. And it is, it is changing every single day. But I say this to everybody who got to embrace technology and use it to help you tell your story. Doug, anything else you would add there? I mean, embracing technology on the ticket sales side, right? Like, you know, obviously CRM has been around for a while, but how you use that, right? And how you go about, you know, evolving your touch points, strategically reaching out to people, et cetera. Yeah, I think, again, it's funny. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone of, all the technologies that are being used today. So it, again, versus what we used five, 10 years ago. And it, it, again, it keeps on changing on this one. Um, you know, you've got to have that, that, as we call it, a tech stack. And I think utilize it in the right way. So whether your CRM system, whether you're a Dynamics or a Salesforce, whether you're using Gong to record or Sales Navigator and LinkedIn to, to, to go after people, look them up, et cetera, uh, Pardot is, is a huge one. And then obviously, you know, as, as I'm with Sports Digit, the Digidat to really help bring it all together and tell that story and able to hit someone what you need them to see and what they need to see. David, what's on your end, you know, obviously ticket sales is a grind, but there's, there's now an art and a storytelling component to even that now as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's especially in the, in the, in the last year or so, you are trying to depict a product that isn't isn't legally available uh, for for probably half of that year. Um, you know, so these 
some of the sales reps that would be trying to tell a story in the past when they would try to bring someone down to an arena, let's meet face to face. That's kind of been our MO. Let's let, you know, use the phone, email, text to get someone down to an arena and then do your selling while you're at the arena. It's much better for the customer. That all went out the window uh, last year. So that was a complete wrench in the entire sales process. Um, the, and that it's a challenge. Some of our top sales reps have really had to make that adjustment. And, you know, to Doug's point, embracing technology. I mean, our, our, our inside sales manager, uh, Sandra Cope, it's a, just incredible, does an incredible job getting our folks up to speed with tech. And then at the same time, he embraces that change and is able to teach it to the sales reps. Um, and that's been invaluable this past off season um, because that, that, that sales process went away uh, where now instead of that face-to-face meeting, now it's a Zoom meeting. Uh, we did get back to face-to-face meetings at Fenway uh, this past off season, which have been great. Uh, and we will get back to that again, but um, that, that's really moved the needle. The sales reps that embrace the tech, that embrace change, have a much better chance of competing now and moving forward. Are there some efficiencies that you guys have found though, David, in terms of the, the virtual component where you might be able to get in another three, four meetings in a day because of that travel time of, you know, just the natural ability you have to go from one to the next? Yeah, I think that that's a good point, Jake. I mean, in terms of, you know, you are able to get a few more touch points out into the market um, by working from home. Uh, I don't think that happened right away when we got into it. We were really like, how do we do that? I mean, I had never done this uh, before. We're all trying to figure it out on the fly. Um, and I, I, you are able to get a few more calls in, a few more Zoom calls in. It's just, I think at the end of the day, the amount of face-to-face tours in person will end up winning. Deals get done in person, um, especially in an experimental product like selling sports. You know, you've got a person wants to come down and test drive the seats, get the feel of the park, no matter what venue you're at. I always feel like that is the, the, that is the activity that we want. Um, and we try, to, we try to enforce that. One of the biggest things that at least we've all noticed over the last year is as sports kind of came to this pause, like no one needs sports, right? We all kind of, we all kind of sit there and you, you know, you sell it as if you need this product. No one actually needs it, right? How do you make someone feel like they need it? Because at the end of the day, it's a want and everyone's got their own budgets and what they're going to spend their dollars on, whether it's Netflix eating out or going to a game right? It's just where does that become a need versus a want? Yeah. I don't think it ever really becomes a, uh, a need. I mean, I think it's, 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 we're always going to be, you know, similar to, you can go to a movie theater, you can go out to eat, you can play golf, you can, you can go, you know, to the gym, you can do all kinds of different things, but you want, you know, a family experience, uh, bring your kids out, bring your clients out to entertain, and you want to do that in a great setting, in a very unique setting. For us, we say, you know, 81 unique settings a year uh, for all of our home games. Um, that does, I still believe, has a lot of value with, uh, with clients as well as, you know, for a dad looking for a great experience with their kids. You know, I would also say, David, that people really missed sports, live sports, you know, it's funny, like I have friends that said, oh my gosh, I was watching bags or I was watching horse racing 
you know, last summer because there was nothing else on TV and they were yeah. just wanting to watch something. And then obviously NWSL came back first. You all came back after that. And I think, you know, when you started looking at ratings, people were watching it and normally you're competing with that TV, right? Because, Hey, someone could stay at home and watch, or they could go to your game, but they couldn't yet go to your game. And I think they were salivating and wanting to go like, Oh my gosh, I miss this freaking sport. And, and now as we're slowly opening up, people are saying, wow, I got to get back up there. I, I, I miss it. Yeah. We're, we're definitely seeing that on our side too, as we're ramping up to the season. Um, a lot of inbound inquiries about packages or group sales or suites. And a lot of that has been coming in February, March, you know, consistent with numbers that were, that, that were, we saw before uh, we even knew what COVID was, um, which is, which is just, very refreshing to see. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do, but it's definitely refreshing to see. David, how do you go above and beyond the already created sense of urgency, right? So Doug's talking about people are craving it. They're going to come back. They're going to want to have that experience. You mentioned the same thing. They're, you know, in sales with the creating that sense of urgency, that sense of urgency is already created, right? It's the, it's the demand factor. So how do you go above and beyond that to make sure that you can maximize that sale or maximize that experience for somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I think in terms of when you do have someone down, I, I, this, this happens a lot This is maybe a, a little too micro, but in terms of we'll have someone come in on a sales store, we'll, we'll say, Hey, these seats are available. And then a half hour later, they're gone. And then that, and that, and it's, it's tough because the client's like, well, I really wanted those, but yeah, well, let's do the next best thing. Let's do this right here. There's no bad seats here. Let's, let's get these locked up. That happens a lot. Um, and that's a, that's a natural, you know, urgency right there. Um, in terms of, you know, when they, when they are bought and when someone is bought in, you know, it's, you know, let's, when you do come to the game with your clients, you want them to have the best experience. Do you want them walking down to the field or walking up away from the field? Um, you want to be walking into a club um, or do you want to be in the concourse? Like, what does your experience want to be like? Um, you know, for us, it's, it's, we've been able to create a lot of urgency in terms of just scarcity over the years. But I mean, let's face it, people can get tickets in a lot of different areas now, StubHub, secondary market, the, the consumer is much more savvier than they used to be in terms of uh, experiencing hospitality really in, in, in any sport at the moment. Doug, you mentioned the tech stack earlier, and I want to go back to that because it's an interesting one. What's missing from the tech stack right now? What is something that you would love to have in the future that's a part of your tech stack to help you from a sales perspective? I think if you start looking at all these technologies that are out there, the one that is probably going to be, I would say in the next one to two years, you're going to start hearing more and more of because they are perfecting it is augmented reality. And I think people are going to start putting that into their technologies, whatever they do. So, you know, you could, you know, go and actually, you know, again, you put your camera over something and it brings it to life right there. Um, just notice, always check, check out Google, right? And what they're doing and Apple, what they're doing. And this the AR is starting to come up more and more. So I think that is the next thing that you're going to see in technology that it's already there, but it's being perfected on how to use it in a for us in the sports world, right, in a sales role. David, how does that work from a ticket sales perspective? And 
trying to create, you were just talking about creating the experience, right? Of where you want to be. I mean, is it, is it someone putting on a headset and looking around at what the suite looks like or what the club looks like without actually having to be there? Yeah, we definitely have looked at uh, some options there in that space. Um, and there's some exciting pieces of technology that are out there. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of, this is a little more old school, but our, our like, I'm calling FaceTime old school, but our, our sales reps will literally FaceTime from seats and try to give that experience of like, this is what it looks like. The team's taking batting practice. I'm in the seats that I mentioned. What do you think? Here's, here's where we are. They're trying to give that experience because that's, that's, that can almost be as good as a face-to-face tour if you're able to do that. Um, yeah, with the augmented reality piece, and I'm not as touched up on it as, as you guys probably are, but I'd say, you know, is it a subscription? Is it, okay, we're putting the camera on top of the dugout and you can buy into a subscription from that space within the ballpark. Does that become part of our, you know, part of how, you know, teams start to, to, to capitalize moving forward? I'm not sure, um, but certainly an exciting piece to look at. I also think that eye framing is becoming more and more popular. So instead of having to take someone to two different places, so let's say I'm pitching to you right now, David, and then you wanted to see what exactly that would look like. Now you could bring those two together and I, it's, the technology piece is called eye framing and show it to them so it's all in one place. So it's easy on the consumer. I don't have to go to two places anymore. I could go to one place, see it all. And oh, by the way, I can see exactly what I have to pay for it and click, I'm ready to rock. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that integration component, Doug, right, is like, how there's to, uh, to your point, right? There's so many different great technologies, but how do they all come together and maximize each other uh, in that respect? And I'm sure we'll we'll continue to see more advancements in that world. Um, David, I want to go back to something you said because it's interesting in in how the sales rep is also having to evolve, right? And how. Uh, sales staffs are evolving, right? Obviously, the last year in terms of even just numbers of, of people on a sales staff is evolving. What does the future look like for ticket sales and, and also how organizations are even potentially looking at doing it a little bit differently, maybe than it's been done in the past, whether they're selling tickets and premium or whatever the case might be? Yeah, it, it's, it's a good question. I mean, we're pretty siloed where we have... You know, your group sales, you're selling groups, suites, you're selling suites uh, in the academy, which is what I oversee at the Red Sox, that we are new business all the time. Um, and we used to have a, you know, a seven person intern team and then about a 12 person in, inside sales team. That's changed last year, unfortunately, with some things that nobody could control because of COVID. There's really nothing anyone could do there. But I still am bullish moving forward that deals get done in person. You're still going to need sales staff. Um, that sales staff, however, to our point before, does need to have much more of a, um, they've got to be much more tech savvy in terms of getting in front of people, um, in terms of being able to you know, have a conversation like we're right now, uh, sharing their screen, using, uh, you know, sports Digital has been great for us this, this year in terms of presenting products. That That's something we got in before COVID happened. And that's been outstanding for us this past off season in terms of getting products out in front of people, um, being able to still tell that story of an experience at Fenway park where you're doing it virtually. Um, and yeah, we were, we were chatting before this. We, 
we even have had some sales reps that have never stepped, they've never been to a Red Sox game. Um, and it's to no fault of their own. They, they have now, uh, we got them in for a few games this year, but like when they started, they started right before COVID and they were doing well and they really had never really experienced a, a game at Fenway. So that's, that's gotta be, that was really difficult. Um, and kudos to them for being able to push through and still being able to still tell those stories. How do you sell something you haven't seen? I mean, like, or, or haven't experienced at all. I, I can imagine, look, there might, it's very possible that you might've hired someone that was from a different sport and they just, mm-hmm. baseball wasn't ever a part of their repertoire. So they've never been to a baseball game, right? Yeah. Maybe that maybe they came from soccer and they just, baseball wasn't a thing. So how do you sell something you haven't experienced? Not easily. Um, I'd say it's, um, you know, we, we use a lot of social proofing, you know, fans like yourself give us feedback that they love this, uh, this part of the park. They love this club space. This is what they like about the first base side at Fenway. This is what they like about the third base side. You know, the sun comes, comes over the top and then the sun will shine on you in right field at a at seven o'clock. But then, you know, on the left field side, you're going to be in the shade or on a, during a day game. Um, we try to give a lot of those notes to each sales rep so that they're able to speak in the mind of the, uh, of the uh, consumer itself. So instead of just using internal language, it's, you know, trying to paint that picture of where the seats are. And we're fortunate. Most of our fans, most of the folks we're talking to are pretty familiar with Fenway. They've touched the product in one way or another. Um, and we, you know, we certainly tell the sales of don't hide the fact that you, if you haven't been in there, that's actually kind of a cool story. They might like that. Um, and, and they still have been able to have some success. I'd say majority of our team has been to games, but, um, you know, we, we've had a few members that are brand new, uh, that haven't. It's certainly an interesting one and, and one that's going to evolve, but nonetheless, David, that person now has a skill that someone else doesn't have. Yeah. Right. They now have, you can look at it in a negative light, but now they have the ability to say, Hey, I've sold something when it didn't exist. Or, I, or I've never experienced it before, right? And there's kind of a different skill set you can acquire there. Um, I want to I want to pivot and switch to kind of the sales having a negative connotation for for those that are younger starting out because I know both of you have had long careers in sales already thus far. Um, for both of you and Doug, we can start with you on just was sales the first thing that you were thinking about coming out of school, and was that I mean what, what did it mean to you once you got into it and how have you seen it evolve? You know, so I actually started with sports agents uh, where I started my career. And then I pivoted to the team side of the business. And again, I always go back to mentors and someone said, you need to start selling. There's no question because you are going to have to prove your worth. That's where they separate, you know, the, 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 the kids from, from the adults right there, because there's Think about there is probably, and David could say more, when he puts up a job, he probably gets now, you know, could be three, 4,000 applicants. So people are willing to work for free. So you need to work your tail off in sales at a young age to prove yourself. Because again, that's how you are going to probably move up within an organization and whether you stay in sales or move on to other parts of that organization. Um, I always said, you know, you know, when, when, when you're, when you're selling, right. It's, it's, that's where you learn how to tell a story. You know, that's where you learn how to touch points. 
you know, and, and the kid in the, and I call them kids, we're getting old, right? And, and the, the people that are starting to sell right now, you could see very early the ones that are like sponges and are learning and you see how they go, but then you see the ones that aren't and really aren't ready to sell. And maybe this isn't for them. David, how do you, how do you determine what, you know, to, to Doug's point, like if it's really for someone or not, or do they just need more experience and a different experience to figure that out even more so? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a blessing at a young age. If you could, if you can check the box and say, okay, this isn't for me. And we're very transparent with that. You know, we've had people that have done the junior sales Academy where they're, Hey, which is our internship program. And they'll say, you know, I don't know if this is for me and I want to be open with them so that they're not, they feel like they can be transparent about that. Obviously we want to hire people that want to be in sales, but, um, but for them to be able to knock that off early and maybe pivot and go get an MBA or do something else um, is a great thing. Um, although it, it, it seems to come across in, you know, interviews, you're looking at a resume, you're seeing a, you know, a history of success where the person was, and they might not think that we would have viewed this as success, but they were the captain of their soccer team in high school. They had success in college. They, they were the band leader. They had all kinds of things that they've done in their life. And you know that, okay, this is a history of success. This person's going to give you everything they have. Um, and, and they're showing that grit, that determination. Um, that's a great sign for someone that's, that's going to become uh, a salesperson. They're certainly going to give you everything. You're going to know where you're at after, after four or five months. Um, probably know where you're at within a month uh, with some of those sales reps. Hey, David. So I remember Steve Shanwald, who ran the Bulls for 30 years. He told me at the beginning of my career, he said, is it a career or a job to you? And I think I always think about that with every employee that I've ever worked with. And I'm like, oh, that's a job to him or that's a career for this person. And, and, I, and I say that to young kids as we're mentoring them now is like, is it a job or is it a career? And if it's a career, this is something that you can do and thrive and whatever. But if it's a job, you could go get a job anywhere. And maybe this yeah. isn't the right time or place for you. Yeah, we, we, always, we always try to, you know, we, we say a line to the, to the younger sales reps. We're like, you know, this is the job to get the job to get the career. And along that path, you might find out that this isn't a career for you. And that's totally fine. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do out there. You know, we got the big economy, a lot of things to do, um, a lot of ways to make money and have fun. Um, and, you know, for, for myself, I did not start right away in sales. I, I saw sports as like, oh, you're either the, the general manager or there's nothing else out there. And uh, I remember having a conversation with folks that were in that space saying, I am not even close to their league, you know, in terms of these guys have law degrees and they played the game. Like that is a different level. I'm not going to go there. Um, and then was able to find a niche selling group sales at the race, you know, and, and that's, that's uh, where, where Doug and I first met um, at the Tampa race, but um, try to share that story with the sales reps so that they have an understanding that it's not the end of the world. If this doesn't go right for you, um, you know, well, there's, there's a lot of people that, that, that want your position. And Jake, I could say about David, you know, selling sales at the Tampa Bay Rays was a tough freaking job, right? Talking about telling a story, you know, if you go on a Tuesday night, there's not a lot of people in the stands and his team, and he had some great guys that he worked with and were able to yeah. talk about elevate a brand and they were able to tell that story. That is, like I said, that is, you could sell there, you could sell freaking anywhere. 
And, but they really, they, they weren't lying to customers. They were speaking from the heart and giving them what they needed to, to, to so that customer could have that return on investment, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And they were very successful there. And now you've seen David's career take off because of this and what he's able to do there. And a lot of people that he worked with did the same thing and taken off and had wonderful careers. There's so many different ways I could go with this, but the one thing that, that stood out the most to me is, you know, both of you were at the race, right? And I've talked to multiple people where they're like, yeah, when I started at the Panthers, this was the group of people that I was with in ticket sales. And now so-and-so's here, so-and-so's there, so-and-so's here. These five are not in sports anymore, right? And like, but you kind of had your group that you, when everyone split off, it's kind of like everyone goes to college together and then they split off and go somewhere else, right? It's like, you kind of keep that band together one way or another. I don't know if that happens anymore, but to the same extent, you know, everyone's very competitive in sales, right? But there's this, this notion of, well, I got to beat that person out that's next to me. I got to outsell them. But that person is also your peer who may go on to do something else, who may go and hire you, or you might hire them later on. So how do you, how do you foster that environment, David, where it's, yes, it's really competitive because you want everyone to succeed and do well and push each other. But it's also this environment where, hey, you know, we're all in this together, right? There's kind of, there's still this team environment where, where we're, you know, pushing each other just to get better as individuals and people. Yeah, it's a, that's a great point. I mean, I still remember, you know, the still in the text chain with a bunch of the group sales AEs from the, from the raise and, you know, Dan Newhart's still there and does a fantastic job there. He's an absolute grinder. Um, And it just, in terms of, you know, I think, you know, that I remember we were all group AEs and we were all competing for a sponsorship AE job. And, you know, one person has to get, you're not all going to get it, you know, then the inside sales manager position opens up or something else. And you're, you know, everyone's competing for it. Um, And, but at the same time, I think you want, I think here we usually try to use that example of like, there's enough success to go around. Like if you're going to, if you're, if you're putting your best foot forward, you have a great attitude and you're picking up your teammates rather than feeling like they're taking away from you. You know, there's some sales reps where they see a great pair of seats sell and they're like, Oh no, no, I'm not going to be able to hit my number. And then there's others that are like, well, that means that makes the other seats more attractive. The second person wins. Um, but that's tough. It's so easy to say and really tough to do in the moment, especially when you're selling and you're trying to hit your number. Um, but it's interesting. I don't know, at least for me, I remember like the guys that I knew with the guys and gals at the raise, I knew like, we're still tight, you know, we still know each other and it's still going to people's weddings and getting invited to things and sharing, you know, sharing stories from back in the day and, and all those things. And that's, you know, I love those days. You know, those are the best days. We try to share that with our sales team now and say, you know, you're competing, but like, these are good times right now. You know, someday you're going to move on and wish you were still making those calls next to next to the guy that you were, you were making calls with. And speaking of competitiveness, my, my dad has always told me this story when he played in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a pitcher and he'd say, you know what? He goes, I, when I wasn't pitching, the days I wasn't pitching, I was hoping that we'd win 20 to 19, right? So that, hey, we got the win, but I didn't pitch. And that one, so I think that's very similar, right? At the beginning of your career, you want the team to succeed, right? You want your sales guys to succeed. But if, you know, if David sells a little more of me, I'm like, you know what? I got to sell a little more than him. And, and you have that good competitiveness back and forth. And I think it's great. 
I think it's a lot of people also you go back to, as David said, their college and their high school and competitiveness and playing sports or whatever they did. And they took that to their professional level when they, when they started selling. Let's, let's wrap up with this one question and point before we get to the rapid fire, because um, someone would say to you, David or, or Doug, I don't have sales experience. So I don't know how to tell my story on how to get this sales gig, right? Because someone's looking for sales experience. But at the end of the day, and we've talked about this on many episodes we've had on this podcast is you're selling yourself, right? And to David, you know, your point earlier of all the different things that people have from an attribute perspective, um, how do you go about telling your own story to sell when you don't have sales experience? Because most of the people you're trying to find are coming out of college or coming out of grad school. Maybe they sold, you know, uh, for the athletic department or something like that, right? But sometimes they don't have those opportunities and, you know, everyone's got a different situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because it, how do you, you know, evaluate in that moment? I mean, we, we do in our interview, we, we, we say, okay, you're a uh, college basketball coach. You're trying to recruit me to go to UConn over BC in two minutes. You're talking to, to Doug. He's the candidate. You're in the room with the parents. So when we tr that, in that moment, you try to see, okay, can they handle this? It's not really what they say. It's going to handle the pressure. And it's not always a, a final evaluation. But, um, but that, that one, I think, is that, that's something they did to me when I was at Legends. Uh, they used that as a, let's see if the, if who can handle pressure. Um, but I, back to your original point, I'd say you ask them to tell, like, tell, tell share with me a story that like something that's not on this resume, share with me a story of your life. And it could be anything from a travel they had, or sometimes you get some really powerful stuff about you know, family struggles or anything like that. And, and that's when you see, okay, there's some depth here. This person's not robotic, there's depth here. And, and that when there's that, usually that's a good sign. Um, not foolproof, but usually a good sign. Doug, anything to add to that? You know, it's funny you say that. Um... Enterprise Leasing, which is out of St. Louis, for years, when they hire entry-level people, they look for former college athletes. So again, yeah, you weren't probably working or doing anything in college other than going to school, right, and being a full-time athlete. And they knew that, hey, if this person, if we bring them on, they're going to have the work ethic, and they're going to be able to start in A and end up all the way to Z and they're, they're able to adapt and they're going to be competitive and that, and they're going to be coachable. So I think you kind of look at that type of a company like enterprise. And I think that's what everybody, you know, what I would say to young people is like, Hey, apply what you did to how you are and what you want to do in your career. David, you mentioned something earlier where you said, you know, sales might not be for you, right. For, for that person that's going to find a job. Sales can also be an entry point for someone to learn about the rest of the organization of what exists, right? Yeah. They might have to talk to the ops person to say, hey, like, can we, can we have standing room only seats here, right? And then all of a sudden that person has an idea on the operation side of what does that person do, right? They have that opportunity to ask those questions. Same thing with, you know, the groups and the premium and sponsorships and so on, marketing, like, how do you approach the learning curve of someone who comes in, you know that they're there to sell, 
right? But how do you kind of bridge that gap of, hey, you know, they can learn about other parts of the organization at the same time to further their understanding of how the dots connect? Yeah, I think it's with the, you know, we, we it's in terms of it's, it's managing up. I mean, if they're in terms of that sales reps going to learn about the rest of the organization um, in terms of when they go for another job interview, the skills that they learn selling are going to help that when they, when they go on a date Friday night, the skills they learn in selling might help with that, all those things. So um, just their ability, their social skills, uh, the soft skills, if they're able to develop that, that's going to help them in a lot of other areas of life. Um, and that, yeah, we've got a lot of folks that have, they've come in and they've done really well in sales, or they've maybe done okay in sales and they pivoted to more of a service type role, or they pivoted to an ops type role, whether with us or another team. And we're totally fine with, we obviously want to keep great talent, but if there's no opportunity here, we will do everything we can to try to help them get where they want to be. Uh, that, that's the sort of the agreement with, with inside sales reps is, you know, you come in, put your best foot forward and we're going to help you, um, get what you want um, by you helping us get, get what we want on our side, help us accomplish our goals. All right. Rapid fire. You guys ready? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> Doug, the worst sales rejection you've ever gotten. Well, I hear no, probably 99.9% uh, .9 of the time. So <laughs> I, I get it all the time. I'd have to think about that. Um, the worst, honestly, are the ones where it is a done deal, right? And you're still waiting for the contract to be signed. Those are always the worst. So I won't say certain companies that in the past that have that have, that have happened to me right there, but those are always the worst for me. Ones where they where you got down to it. Yes, it's a done deal. You send the contract, and you get ghosted. The abyss of maybe, you're stuck. That's the worst. <laughs> sure. sorry best <laughs> no no maybe he's perfect um but never is a good one um your best sales analogy you know you mentioned it could be food it could be dating it could be whatever what's the what's your favorite sales analogy oh. uh, it's not really an, i guess analogy but like i'd love the that Lance Tyson uses this term all the time. Don't get high on your own supply. It's definitely not politically correct, but uh, it's it's certainly for us in terms of don't get too caught up in your brand. You're never that special. You're not that special. You still got to earn it. You still got to get in front of folks. You still got to earn their business. Doug, you got one? What have you done for me lately? Right? It, forget about your past all the time. You could say you sold all this stuff in the past, but if you're not selling today and tomorrow, you're in trouble. So what have you done for me lately? A sales organization or product that you find fascinating out in the marketplace doesn't have to be sports by any stretch, but something that you've been like, wow, like they've done a heck of a job. Hmm. Doug, you want to start with that one? Well, besides Sports Digia, by the way, so uh, <laughs> I, I was I, waiting for the plug, dog. That's I was right, I was for waiting plug. for it. You know, I'm just saying, throwing it out there. Um, I'd say without that, it's it's you know, and, and you get this all the time, right? Is how certain you say something, and then you're checking your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed, and and out pops something that you literally just talked about an hour ago, and I think that's incredible. Um, and, and every time like, God, like, how did that happen? Obviously we know now with technology, how that works. 
but I think that is mind blowing to me. Not really tech, but I've always been fascinated by like English Premier League, just how they're able to the fan base. I went to one Liverpool game, was fortunate to, to, to get some tickets, and that was like, yeah, the only thing I could equate it to is college football in the South, you know, like just a just absolute. I mean, it was what an experience. Um, and I just, there's, it's really tough to match that anywhere else. And I'm curious, how did they get there? You know, how did, how did you build that over the years? Um, uh, they seem to be kind of cute and cuddly yet. It's a monster, you know, they're so huge over there. And it's just, uh, that's fascinating to me. How do you create a brand like that? Both of you have lived in multiple places, teams, et cetera, best location. David, I know you're going to be biased with Boston right now, but but best location. I would, I love uh, San Francisco. I was fortunate to to work at Legends on the Levi Stadium project. It was a, a that was a great staff, and it was a lot of fun to be up there. Um, love the Bay Area. Love San Francisco. I would say for me, New Orleans. You know, I was I was young and single back then, having a pretty good five years. Uh, so uh, now I'd weigh 400 pounds and, 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 and uh, we need to go. To, yeah, it's tough, but, but I, I absolutely loved it back then. I was going to say, how many beignets did you eat? Like, was there a week, like week to week? How many, what was the, what was the streak of weekends at beignets, you know, Cafe du Monde? You know, a few times, well, first of all, you have people always coming to New Orleans to see you. And then obviously they want to go. So, okay, let's, let's, let's go there, right? <laughs> Yeah, that that had that had to have been a struggle. All right, last one for both of you. What was your first sale? Dodgers Stadium was an inside sales. I had no idea what I was doing. I uh, had a had a business card stack. There were Kelly Services leads. I'm not even sure they're around anymore. Um, called somebody. I had the, the sheet of, uh, of, you know, pricing. I literally was had been with the team for maybe four or five days. Um, talked to the guy a little bit, invited him down to the, uh, to the venue. We were, they were changing every seat in Dodger stadium that off season. And, um, the guy bought, uh, third base side in the corner, uh, full season. And, uh, I'm like, wow, this is easy. And uh, realized this is never going to be that easy again. Uh, that's like sitting down playing blackjack and thinking you're going to win all the time. Uh, no, that's, that's not true, but, uh, but it was a great experience. Mine was in the Rockford Lightning in the CBA back when Isaiah Thomas owned it. And it was, I, I remember this day, it was Money Tree Jewelers was the name of the company. And he wanted to do something like, he's like, hey, I want to do something freaking crazy. And I'm this young 22 year old, like, oh man, here it goes. So we came up with this idea that we were going to get a rubber chicken and that you it had a, at the quarter at the timeout that someone would come out and from half court would take a rubber chicken and throw it. And if it went in the basket, you won a 500 hour gift certificate. So that was my very first time in selling anything. True story. You know, it's like, it's like your first date. It's like your first, I mean, first, your first sale. I'm glad that you guys remember each one of them. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. They all seem like the, the, rubber, the rubber chicken. That is that is very you, Doug. That's right. <laughs> you got to come up with something. That's awesome. Hey, Jake, well, Doug. I also have a big question yeah. for for David because you know 
all of our friends that we work for want him to say this one word. Can you say, David, for us, can you go park the car? I just want to hear that in a great Boston accent. So for us all to hear. Park the car. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> great, great way to end the episode. Appreciate that, uh, that ad there, Doug. Uh, David, Doug, really appreciate your time uh, talking about sales, developing sales mindsets, all the different approaches. Um, and evolving every day, every week, every month. So I uh, really appreciate it and uh, certainly hope to talk to you guys again soon. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Thank Doug. you for having us. Thanks again for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. Remember, today's episode was brought to you by Suja Organic. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off of their packages Excited to have Suja on board for the month of April. And again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.